0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. It's always easier for me when Grant's preaching. I sit over there and I, I think, I can't wait to hear the word this morning. And then it comes to me and, well, I'm not always quite so... Ready to just jump right up in front of a bunch of people and and preach to you. So how was your Christmas? Here we are. This is the last Sunday of the year. Christmas was yesterday. Did you get your toys? Did you get what you wanted from Santa Claus? Were you a good person this year, this last year? Or did you get a lump of coal? I remember as a kid, right around Thanksgiving, we would get these, uh, I wouldn't really think about how I was doing for the year, you know, that's the way kids are, right? And we would get these big catalogs, because we didn't have Amazon, or Alibaba, or any of these these internet things, right? And we'd get these big Sears catalogs, Montgomery Wards, you may remember, I'm not sure if they're still around, but you may remember them. Um, And we would go through, and our parents would say, you know, go to the toy section or wherever you want, circle what you want, and put your name next to it. Because there were three of us, three kids. And and so we would do that, and we would think, you know, I deserve this. This is really what I want, and I deserve this. Don't you kind of think that sometimes when you're a kid and you're waiting for Christmas and all those nice toys? Of course, we always think of ourselves as better than what we really are don't we so before we begin our psalm today I'd like to talk a little bit our psalm is Psalm 7 by the way go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already done that I'd like to give you just a little bit of context before we we start on the psalm itself so uh, let's go back to the first four psalms and and I just want to give you a little bit of review so Psalm 1 was a contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The Lord knows the righteous, and and the wicked will perish. Psalm 2, we see another contrast. We see the kings and rulers of the earth take counsel together against the Lord's anointed. But the Lord's anointed can't be conquered, can he? And the blessed take refuge in the Lord, and wicked are dashed into pieces like a potter's vessel. And then in Psalm 3 we we saw the way to salvation and and it's considered a morning psalm which would be, have been sung at the worship in the morning. And the enemies are rising against David as he and he calls for the Lord to save him, to put a shield around him. He calls for the Lord to break the teeth of the wicked. And ultimately salvation belongs to the Lord. And then in Psalm 4 was a Pathway to Peace. and It was an evening psalm. It was sung in the evening worship at the temple. David calls on God in that psalm to answer and hear his prayer. He complains about men loving vain words and, and seeking out lies. But he knows how the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when I call is what he says. And finally, he calls the Lord to make me dwell in safety, is what he says. So what I want you to see here is the repetition in these first four psalms, and we'll see how they relate to where we are today. A continued contrast between the righteous and the wicked, leading in punishment for the wicked enemies of the Lord, and blessing of salvation, refuge, and safety for the righteous. So let's read our psalm for today. It's titled, In You Do I Take Refuge. That's the title that you'll see in most of your Bibles. Ashigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground, and lay my glory in the dust." Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, Oh, righteous God! My enemy is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, and is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and a. And on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praises to the name of the Lord the Most High. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Our psalm begins with a superscript. That's the part between the title and the first verse. In our case, it reads, Shigeon of David which he's saying to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. If you read it closely, it gives us some information about our, our psalm. It gives us three things about our psalms. First, it tells us about that the psalm is a, a shigeon of David. Now that word shigeon, and it's taken me a while to get that pronunciation down, because I didn't grow up saying it that way, but, but that's the pronunciation, a shigeon. Of David, So that word is used only here, and it's used as a root word in Habakkuk. So it's really kind of difficult to know exactly what it means. It's it's in very few places, right? So not all scholars agree, but the general consensus is that it's a musical term that means to wonder or to go astray. Probably the music or in the way it was sung would go up and down, loud and soft. It appears that David probably wrote this while he was on the road run from Saul. He, we also see that being a shegeon of David, which he sang to the Lord, we can come, up to, come to the conclusion that David actually wrote this. He was the specific author of this psalm. And finally, we get a sense of why he wrote it. This psalm is concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Now, there's no other mention anywhere in the Bible of who Cush specifically was. We do know that King Saul was a Benjaminite, so it's reasonable to associate Cush and Saul as either a confidant or a close ally of Saul. Some have even associated Cush as being Saul himself. Apparently, these words from Cush are a principal reason that the situation of this psalm is being addressed. So I've, I've kind of separated this psalm and for myself into two places, really. I've separated it from verses 1 to 5, and I've, I've kind of headed that as man's judgment. And then in verses 6 through 18 are God's judgment. So we, be, we begin our psalm In verse 1, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So now, can you hear the desperation in David's prayer? Perhaps this was King Saul in pursuit of David. Remember the veracity that Saul pursued David. Saul was intent on killing David, chasing him all over the countryside, like a dog with a bone. He just was, could not settle down. He had to go after, after David. This is a scene that David has as a shepherd boy would have seen, a lion going after a lost or stranded lamb. You can feel for the lamb as it's being chased, running for its life. A lion on its heels, wanting to devour it. This is a scene from almost any horror movie with the main character being chased by the murderer. With a good actor, you feel the fear and desperation to find refuge from his pursuer. You know if they are caught, they'll be torn apart. When you're the one being chased, you have to wonder, why is this happening to me? Wait, what have I done to deserve this? Much like those people on trial in the last few weeks. Can you imagine? Can you feel for them? Why do I deserve this? I've done no wrong. Why? Is this happening to me? We all go through that from time to time, don't we? Whether it's simple things like getting caught in a car accident. (sighs) Why did I deserve this? Why is this happening to me? Especially if you caused it, right? So let's read on. Oh Lord, my God, if I have done this, If there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. So now we're starting to get a fuller picture of the cause of this pursuit, right? We put the words, if we put the words of what Cush has said... Right? We know that these are the words Cush has said and that's what's causing this. And we get the idea that Cush must have slandered, slandered David at some point in time. Cush, Cush must have said that David did wrong things. David repaid his friend with evil or plundered his enemy without cause. Have you ever noticed people can go through life sinning against God without even a thought about it? Yet when they get slandered... When they get slandered, when you find out that someone has told a lie about you, you just go unhinged, don't you? How could that person say that about me? Yet, we do things against God all the time, don't we? Think about a time when someone may have said something about you that wasn't true. I usually think back as to the more simple days when I was a kid in the backseat of the car. He touched me. (laughs) Did you ever go through that? Now, in the days of minivans, you can separate your kids. You don't have to worry about that so much. but, But seriously, this happens far more when we realize we are blamed for something we didn't do. And if it goes on a long enough time, we question, did we really do that? Did I really cause that? I know in my life, sitting in the back seat of the cart, did I really touch them? Get blamed a lot. I was the youngest, so it was easy to blame me for everything. Those older kids you got to watch out for them. Now we know from David's life that he had been so careful to avoid any appearance of rebellion against Saul. Twice even, he had spared King Saul's life, right? Once in the cave at Adullam, and also when he, we found, when he found Saul sleeping amongst all the other soldiers. And in both times, if you may recall that, he cut off a piece of uh, the, his clothing to show that he could have done something to him, but he didn't want to. He could have killed Saul all this time, but Saul, in his mind, was the anointed one, right? Even with that, it didn't protect him from the lying tongues. In these three verses, he proclaims his innocence. Remember, this word selah means to mull over what has been said. So I think David is questioning what has been said about him, just like we may question our own actions when we've been slandered. In the backseat of the car, I wondered, did I really touch my brother or my sister? They said I did, but I didn't do that. Did I accidentally lean in and bump them? I don't think I did. And David's own reflection, his own reflection is an acknowledgement. that his conscience might be be in error. With humility and maybe even a little frustration, he says, if I've done this, then punish me. In David's own reflection, there's this acknowledgement that he may be wrong. Humility doesn't require us to acknowledge the truth of lies or false charges brought against us. What humility demands is a judgment of ourselves, not below or above the line of truth, but according to the truth. And as Christians are are we slandered? We are sometimes called racists. We're sometimes called judgmental. Sometimes we're said we're told that we're against women. Just to name a few things. We're slandered more than we sometimes realize it, aren't we? So here we are. David has been slandered, and because of it, he's being pursued relentlessly, and he feels without cause. He's dwelling on it and questioning his innocence and his conscience. So, what does David do? He calls on God's judgment of his innocence. He asked God, judge me. And then he goes into verses 6 through 17. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. So in that awake for me, we see that before God's judgment comes, sometimes it seems like it's a long time. And Saul, or David was on the run for a long time, hoping that somebody, that God would come in and save him. So, let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. So, we have an appeal to God for righteous judgment. And not only that, we have a, this appeal to God for righteous judgment in front of the people. Hmm, kind of sounds like a trial, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like David is wanting to be tried for what he thinks is, he's innocent for, right? So he asked for God to try him. And not only that, but he asked God to go against his enemies because he feels he's a righteous man. Now, is David righteous? Well, kind of seems that way, doesn't it? But we know later on that the David murdered Bathsheba's husband, right? Uriah the Hittite. We know that from from Samuel. And we also know that David was an adulterer. So, was he a righteous man? He thought he was. Just like when I was circling my toys in the catalog, I deserve those things. But did David? So God determines controversies, doesn't he, between the righteous and the wicked. David asks here that his case be taken up and tried to the righteous judge to God. In front of the peoples. Judge me, O Lord. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. So we have an assertion here that God is judge of all the earth and shall surely prove this to be. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want the evil of the wicked to come to an end? Those who slander us? And don't we want to be established as righteous by the the God that tests our minds and our hearts? By our righteous God, our righteous judge? So moving on, my shield is with God who saves the upright in in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. This tells us even more about God, doesn't it? Indignation is anger caused by something that's unfair or wrong. And God's really angry with the wicked all the time. Now... Don't we usually hear, uh, how does I go? God hates the sin and not the sinner. That's not, that's clearly not what it says here, is it? God hates the sinner and the sins that the sinner performs, right? And then he goes on to say that if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So let's look at that a little closer. Man has to turn from evil, or God will surely end him. And God is always... Prepared to end him. God is always prepared with his readied bow. And his sword sharpened. Hmm. So how does that make us feel? How does that make us feel? Doesn't it make you just want to repent? And behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Well, we already know that, don't we? Wickedness comes from within. And here we see the conception of evil from desire to conception to birth to sin. James 1 tells us in the New Testament, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But it's, of course, how we respond to God that determines whether we experience mercy or wrath, isn't it? Judgment or grace. I feel like there's so much more there. I'd really like to get into it. And that's how I woke up this morning. Feeling that there's so much more here. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. So I'm going backwards a little bit here. So God saves us if we're upright in heart. He's a righteous judge, but he is angry with sin. And if a man doesn't repent, God will end him. And wickedness is our desires that are born. and move into sin but how we respond to God changes all of that doesn't it because we all have desires don't we but do we always let those desires loose I was having this conversation with somebody at work the other day and it was like um, what did I say to him He was talking about how this uh, person he knew was, was basically slandering him. And I said, you know, we all have desires, but do we always act on those desires? There's times when I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off and I have this desire to just ram into the back of them. You know, but I don't fall on that. I don't go through those desires, but so many people do. So many wicked people let their desires come forth, and we saw that. We see that in trials all the time. People just, uh, they let go. But as Christians, that's one of the things we try to do. We try to hold on to our desires and not give birth to sin. But we don't always do that, do we? Sometimes, and most often, we have to repent. But what does he do to these wicked people? He makes a pit, digging it out. That's what these wicked people do. They make pits, digging it out, and they fall into the hole that they've made. His mischief returns upon his head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. Hmm. So that's kind of like those who live by the sword die by the sword. So what does David do? He sees all this happening and he knows that he's innocent. And in verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Now this is the first place in the Psalms where we find the Lord called the Most High. So in our first section, we saw that David is slandered and calls on God for judgment. His conscience leads him to believe that he may or may not be innocent. And then in this section... We see that judgment is by the Most High, Righteous God, and there's repentance there. We can repent to be free from our judgment, but the unrepentant, they die by their wickedness, don't they? And then what does David do? He gives thanks. He gives thanks to to the Lord, to His righteousness. David calls to be judged by his righteousness. David at that time felt he was righteous. Later on when he became king, it became blatantly obvious that he wasn't righteous. And as a foreshadow of Christ as our king, we find later on that he is an adulterer and a murderer. David is a flawed king. Do we really want to be judged by our righteousness? No, we don't. We want to be judged by Christ's righteousness that He imparts on us when he, we became believers. So let me ask you again. Did you get what you wanted for Christmas? Did you get what you deserved? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, as it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So I found it really interesting what he says here. In verse 16, the wicked, his mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of Genesis 3, 14 and 15? The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, And above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all of the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Christ died on the cross. And what did he do? He crushed the head of the most evil. He did that for us. For each and every one of us. So now, we've spent the last several weeks in Advent, haven't we? This is why we, we, we have been celebrating the, the birth of our Lord Jesus. This is why he came. This is why he came, isn't it? This is why we celebrate his birth. We give gifts. He came. He led a righteous, obedient life. He gave us a gift of hope we couldn't imagine. When we are under trials, look to our Savior. He alone was perfect in righteousness, yet no one was ever reviled, slandered, and hated as much as he was. He lived and died doing good to his enemies and praying for each and every one of them. So now, in this new, this new year, I think we're probably going to see even more slandering to Christians. So I thought it was kind of important to, to leave you on this note that when we're slandered, Christ gave us a gift of hope. When we think that there's no place to turn, when we're in our trials and we forget, because that's what we do, isn't it? We forget when we're in those trials. When we get slandered, all we want to do is we want to get even. We want to ram into that car in front of us. We want to hit that person that did something wrong to us. We want to lash out and, and slander them back, maybe. But that's not what we do, right? Christ said, and, and basically well, Christ prayed for his, his, the people who sinned against him. Christ prayed for those people who hurt him. And we should, too. And I want you all to also think, those people who were on trial... They were on trial, but they were being slandered in the media. And can you imagine you're being on trial and everybody on television is saying that you did these things against people on purpose? That you were out to hurt people? It makes you wonder sometimes if you really were. This seems to be a recurring theme in the Bible, doesn't it? Why do you think that this might be a recurring thing, a recurring theme that we see over and over, where we're told to have hope, we're told that we will, um, that we will um, be reviled against? And then we're told to have hope in Christ. It's because we're forgetful. We don't remember. So, as I said earlier, we've been given by grace a hope that we can depend on. Christ gave us the ultimate present for Christmas. He was born and he died And he gave us the ultimate present that we didn't deserve. It's all by grace. So when we're on trial, remember that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, dear Lord God, thank you for your psalm. Lord, thank you for showing us that even when we're slandered, even when we're in our trials and and we forget that we can come back to you, Lord. We can always depend on you to save us. We can always depend on you for your love and the the grace that you pour upon us, Lord. Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to remember in our times of slander and, and trials, that, to help us in our times of tribulation, Lord, that, that you are always there. You are sovereign. Help us to remember to look up in the night sky and know that you are there. You are next to us. You carry us through adversity. Father, as we do this, I just pray that we would uh, always raise you up as the righteous one. That we would praise you, not fear you. That we would be changed by your, your word, Lord, and grow closer to you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen that stand and